morning. We are done with 1 Timothy. We are starting a new series. It's in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Malachi. Yeah, it's a, it's a short uh, book, four chapters, but so, so powerful and so um, relevant for us today. That's why God's Word is timeless and it's transcendent. So it applies all the time, everywhere, no matter what the age is. You can't say it's old-fashioned, it's gone out of style. No, God's Word never does that, right? It's always relevant. So why? I mean, look, different times, different culture, but we're still the same people. We're still sinners, man, who need to be saved by grace, right? We're always going to stray away from the Lord till He grabs us and brings us back to Him. That's our tendency. That doesn't change. It's the same day, same thing in Malachi's day. Um, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to introduce the book. We're going to kind of do like a like a little flyover, flyover country this morning, 30,000 foot view. You know, you're flying in an airplane and you can kind of get an overview. That's what we're going to do with Malachi. And then we're going to really dig in uh, to to the specific uh, category, passages, and, and parts of this, of this amazing um, little prophecy of Malachi. Uh, what's it most known for in Malachi? It's known kind of, we know it's like the last word, right? Before the 400 years of silence, before John the Baptist announces the, 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 the coming of Christ and the incarnation. Um, also for Jesus' redemption, as it looks forward to Jesus coming to redeem and then also judge those who do not believe the great day of the Lord. So you know about that, generally speaking, from Malachi, but there's so much more. It is so relevant today. Even the name Malachi means my messenger. He is God's messenger. That's who he is, number one. And every faithful prophet, priest, preacher, and Christian is a, is a faithful messenger if you belong to him. These are Because there are other messengers that aren't of the Lord, all the false prophets, all the false teachers, all the bad pastors that are out there that aren't preaching the truth. So, so Malachi means my messenger. He belongs to God. He was a post-exilic prophet. What's that mean, post-exilic? That means after the exile, after being in Babylon for 70 years, they're back in the land. So this is kind of setting the context. They're back in the land um, after the exile. Other post-exilic prophets are Haggai and Zechariah, maybe Joel, but here, Malachi is the one belonging to God. And again, those messengers can find themselves. A faithful messenger, again, whether he's a, a prophet, priest, pastor, will confine himself to God's message, to God's word. He's not going to go beyond it. He's not going to add to it. He's not going to take away from it. He's going to give it to you straight as the Lord gives it to him. So his words, his teachings, his exhortations, his, God's expectations, God's commands... That's what a good messenger, that's what my messenger brings forth. We can't add anything to the word. So it's not about our personality or what we think about it. It is God's word that is brought forth by his messenger, right? Those, the messengers, the prophets. And again, this just extends to all the faithful ones that he sets apart for this kind of ministry. They're marked by faithfulness, marked by integrity, marked by determination to speak the truth of God, and that's it, no matter the cost to them. So, so, so often, the best prophets, the most faithful prophets, 
and priests and ministers are oftentimes rejected and neglected. They're not valued. They're not esteemed. They're not respected because they don't tell you what you simply want to hear, but they speak the truth of God. Amen? Praise God. That's what we want. So we see that even throughout the Old Testament with the faithful prophets. They were often hated, even by their own kings. You know, uh, Micaiah, the, the, the one prophet, was hated by Ahab because Ahab said, he always tells me what I don't want to hear. He's not telling me. All my other prophets tell me what I want to, what I want to hear, but not this Micaiah. He doesn't say that. You know, he tells me the truth. That's, that's, that's 1 Kings 18 or 22, somewhere around there. You could read that, but, but there's that faithfulness of those who are called by God. And Malachi, my messenger, is called by God. And what's he do to the people? He confronts them, right? He confronts them with the truth. That's it, just confronting with the truth. Not mean-spirited, not harsh, not self-righteous, but reliant on the Lord and given the message that you need to hear, whether you want it or not. That's the job. That's, that's part of it. So, so again, that's oftentimes why they're so dejected and rejected by people. But he challenges the people to truly believe, to truly love, and to truly serve their God. And, and you're going to see in Malachi, one of the reasons I wanted to preach through this, because it is so relevant and it's so much for today, because even as he confronts the people, they don't out, out, outright reject him, they don't repent in dust and ashes, but they challenge. And you're going to see that as we go through. They, they really push back. But he's a faithful servant, Malachi is, because he is my messenger, says the Lord. So a little bit of context, a little bit of background, just to get us all oriented to, to where we're at. When did this take place? When was it written? In the 5th century, so he prophesied around 430 B.C. approximately, so about that 400 years before the announcement of Christ coming. Again, the people were back in the promised land. They weren't in exile. They had been back in the promised land for some time. At, at this point, he's in Jerusalem, so it's the center of the spiritual, you know, the spiritual heartbeat there, the spiritual center uh, in, in Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt Ezra and Nehemiah, you know that, as they came back into the land, worship has resumed, but something was not right. Something wasn't right among the people. Now, the people there had known about the earlier prophecies from Haggai and Zechariah, and there was a tone. I mean, obviously, as you, as you read those other prophets, there's judgment being doled out, but there's a kind of an, um, an overriding um, promise of better days of more of messiah coming it's just kind of encapsulated in zechariah 9 9 rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout aloud o daughter of jerusalem behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey a colt a full of a donkey so there's kind of this expectation that's out there of god coming and doing something really amazing of, of messiah coming but by the time we find ourselves here in Malachi that that hadn't been realized yet, obviously. So it wasn't outright or even outward rejection of God, really. They they weren't going back to the high places like they used to go. Remember how the how how Israel would go to to the Baals and that kind of blatant idolatry, like we see Jeremiah speaks to. Uh, this is what they they would do. They built high places, that's worship uh, apart from God, where they they 
uh, build monuments and, and idols to foreign gods who are no, no god at all, right? But people still do this today. They built high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Moloch, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. See, the high places. People in Malachi, they weren't doing this. They weren't just going out to the high places, right? But it was more inward. It was um, something more subtle, kind of much like today. Um, in Malachi, you're going to see there seems to be more of a spirit of apathy. Like they were more apathetic towards the Lord, not deeply reverent and not deeply serious about following God. Now, outwardly, they were doing, they were going through the motions. Again, we're going to see that. They, they were doing their duty. They were doing their, their rituals. They were doing what they were supposed to do. So if you question somebody, they could say, hey, I do this. I go to church. I give my time. I do that. So outwardly, they, they were doing what they were kind of supposed to be doing. But inwardly and in their hearts, there was no passion. There was no zeal. There, there was no commitment to Christ. Their, their affections were divided, right? Just, again, a lot like today. Just, yeah, I got God over here, but, but I got everything else over here. And I'll fit God in whenever I can. That's kind of the, the sentiment at, at this time. So... No zeal, no sincerity, no hunger and thirst for God. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 18 of the religious leaders, he said, this people, you honor me with your lips. You could say the right things, but your hearts are far away from me. That's the worst thing. That's that lukewarmness. That's being distant from God. So it's very hard to reach these kinds of people because they are doing, because they are showing up, but their heart is far away from God. And that's so frustrating. It's even frustrating to pastors. You know this if you're a pastor, an elder. You're preaching, you're teaching. People are there, but they're just kind of, yeah, they're there in body, but their mind is 100 miles away from the Lord. So in this prophecy, this prophet confronts the people. He just does. He just brings it straight from the Lord. <clears throat> but as he does this, And it's about six six different confrontations, six different disputes that he has with the people. And these people are so obstinate, you could see their heart. Check this out. Let's just look. Again, we're going to dive deep into this, especially starting next week. This is an introduction. This is an overview. But check this out, the series of confrontations and disputes. Look at at, uh, chapter 1 and and verse 2. The Lord loved for Israel. The Lord says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But they say, how have you loved us? God said, I've loved you. Look at the, look at the arrogance. How, how, how have you loved us? They're, they're kind of pushing back and questioning God on that. Then go down to verse 6. A son, the Lord says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, Where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name? But you say, you say, how have we despised your name? How have we, I don't see it. We're here, we're doing what we're supposed, how have we despised your name? We're doing what we are supposed to do. Then uh, look at verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? You see, these are the people pushing back. 
go to chapter 3 and look, look at verse 8. Will a man rob God, the Lord asks? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? They don't even see it. They think they're okay. They're just kind of in this place where this apathy is set in. They're just going through the motions and doing what they are supposed to do, but they're not loving God from their hearts. They're denying, they dispute with God every single charge that the prophet brings, man. It's something, it says something about the state of their hearts, doesn't it? Yeah, they think that they're okay. In fact, they're not. And we're going to see that as we go through this. There is apathy there. There's a problem. And this kind of attitude of, of kind of being apathetic in this way is very indicative of, of people, even God's people, in times of relative peace, in times of relative prosperity. You know, that sameness. Everything is the same, week to week. We don't have to worry too much. We're not having to worry about being persecuted, at least not right now. We don't have to worry about where where our, our meals are going to come from, those kinds of things. And if we serve the Lord, if we meet like this, we may very well be in trouble. We don't have to worry about that. All right, now, we haven't had to worry about that. Um, you know, really from the beginning of this nation. So, so this kind of attitude, there's no, listen, there's no pressing need to completely rely on God, though we should rely on God at all times. But sometimes when times are like this, we can kind of lose our focus, right? On the Lord and our trust and that absolute dependence upon him. We go our own way. We have our other interests because we're afforded that and we can kind of get carried away by that, Right? That's why I was almost, I was, I was struck a few years ago. We went to a Voice of the Martyrs conference and one of the speakers at the very end said, and he wasn't being mean, but he said, I'm praying that God will bring persecution even to this nation so you will know what it means to trust completely in the Lord Jesus Christ because under persecution, that's all you can do if you're a true Christian. And there's even joy in that and hope in that and, and even a sense of doing, doing God's work and a duty in serving him in that way, in suffering for his sake. It doesn't seem to make sense. It's like a a paradox. We don't want to think about that. And yet, that man prayed, in a sense, for that so that we may know God even more. Because when things are good like this, it's a danger. It's a blessing and it's a danger at the same time. That's what we need to be aware of, right? We should be thankful. But then we usually end up taking things for granted and even become bitter with God. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But by and large... We are at ease in Zion. That's what, that's what uh, another prophet said, Amos said about the people. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. What's it mean to be at ease in Zion? Just what I'm talking about. That's what it is. Different context in the book of Amos, but the same idea, the same principle is this. To be at ease in Zion when it's easy, even when we kind of take our eyes off the Lord, take him for granted. Listen to this in Amos chapter 6. I'll just read it beginning in verse 4. He says, this is what it looks like to be an ease at Zion. Woe to those who lie in their beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent themselves instruments of music who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Do you see that being at ease in Zion and just taking it easy and you know we have a measure of prosperity but we don't see the decay underneath that and the sin that's underneath that as we need to... 
as we haven't done, even in, even in our context, even in our time. And look where we find ourselves, even as a church and even as Christians in the midst of this dark world. We have been at ease in Zion. And that's a tendency. You know, instead of praising God with grateful hearts and thankfulness for peace and provision and prosperity, we become expectant and we become bored and we become disconnected from the things of God. We become apathetic and even lukewarm and we let sin take place right in the midst of us, right in the midst of our eyes. Thousands and thousands of babies are being murdered every day. Finally, we're kind of really rising up to that, but for the longest time, we just let it go. We see sin all around us and we just kind of hide our heads. As long as we have ours, as long as we're doing okay, then that's all right. See, that's, that's, that's that comfort and ease in Zion. And that's going on at the time of Malachi. So instead of praising, we become apathetic in that way. And now Lord, I want you to hear this, and I want you to listen to this, because this is kind of the foundation of this whole series. Right now, what I'm going to be talking about the next few moments. I'll be referring back to this as we go through this, but I want you to hear this this morning. Apathy towards God is indicative of two things. In other words, it usually means one of two things when we're apathetic towards God. Number one, it means that you're in a season of sin. Because when you're in a season of sin, God doesn't mean too much of you, right? Because you're busy pursuing your sin, right? You're busy pursuing that which pleases you, even though you know you shouldn't be as a Christian. But sometimes, like David, we kind of get in that season, and that sin becomes everything to us. So we're preoccupied by serving sin. We're, we're, we're chasing our idols. So whether it's something like, like sexual sin, you know, we're, we're, we're going to look at that. You're going to get farther and farther away from God's word, right? When you're in, you don't really want to hear from the Lord. So you become apathetic towards the things of God or, or if it's uh, infidelity, right? You know, you know I, I'm not going to get close to the word of God because I'm, I'm pursuing my sin. Believe me, people still come to church. They might be having an affair, but they'll be in church every Sunday. And they'll be there on Wednesday nights. But this isn't going to mean too much to them because they're preoccupied by their sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so that leads to apathy towards God as you're pursuing your sin in that way. It doesn't matter. Like you could call yourself a Christian, but you could be in sin of gambling and gambling your life away and your money away and your fortune away, but you're still there on Wednesday nights, right? You're still, you still show up to the prayer meeting. No, see, that's, that's, that, you're apathetic because now he doesn't mean everything to you. Whatever you're pursuing, that means more at that time than the Lord Jesus Christ does to you, right? Yes. Okay, that's one. That's not necessarily what's going on at Malachi's time. But in Malachi's time, it's more, it indicates more of, of kind of because things didn't come to fruition the way they thought they would, especially based on the earlier prophecies, apathy always turns into kind of resentment or it's a sign of kind of a resentment towards God. Because when you're not on fire for the Lord, when you're not in his word, if it just doesn't mean too much to you and you're just kind of, it's not, I'm just indifferent you're either pursuing sin, I don't want to be too dogmatic, it can be other things, but, but mostly pursuing some other sin or there's some kind of resentment going on that's built up because God hasn't met your expectations that, that you have for him. Some bitterness, some disappointment with God. And that seems to be more the case that's going on here. That these people, they didn't, didn't come through with all the promises from Haggai and Zachary. Not happy. Come on, God, we're... So, so, ha- so things haven't worked out the way you hoped they would as, as a Christian, the way you thought they would, the way you believed they would, the, the, the way they should even, right, if, if we're Christians. 
You know how it is when you start as a Christian, early in your Christian life, how exciting you are, the zeal, the excitement, the power that's there, the absolute trust you have in the Lord. But over time, we become more jaded, don't we? We become more cynical. You know, like that, that flame often just turns into to a little flicker there. We're kind of disappointed. I, I, that I, you know, why isn't my life working, God? I've been following you all these years. Why is my marriage so, you know, just blah? Why, why, why is it so hard most of the time, God? Where, where, you know, why are my relationships so, sha- so shallow? Why am I so lonely? Why am I so afraid? And why am I so frustrated? Why do so many people that do evil, that don't even care about you, that don't even think about you, that actually hate you, get away with it? Why, God? Right? Resentment and discontentedness show up. Not necessarily in your words. You might be thinking about everything that I just said in your mind. Why, God? Why is this? And you might have that bitterness, but you're not going to say that. Most of the times you're going to put on a smile and you're going to be okay and, you know, play the, the Christian part. You, you know, you, you could think it, but it's, 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 you're never really going to say that. You're never going to say, God, I'm discontented with you out loud, right? God, you let me down. I need this from you. You're not going to do that, but even though you feel that, that's not right. That's, a, that, that's what they were doing in Malachi's day. It doesn't necessarily show up in your outward actions either, right? That resentment. You do your religious activity. You do your duty, right? At least for a time. You'll still come to church. You'll still show up. You'll still give, right, a little bit. You'll, you'll still go to, to, to the studies or to the groups. It doesn't always show up right away. Eventually it will, but in your outward actions, you could be doing the right thing. You're here today, right? You're, you're doing this. So you could check the boxes. That's what they were doing. They were checking the boxes. Your, your, your offerings are terrible. You're bringing the worst thing. What, 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 how are we doing that? I'm bringing my things. See, but God's going to dig in and say, okay, you're bringing them, but you're bringing the worst that shows that you're apathetic, that you're resentful, that you're not serving me, that you're not really trusting me, that you don't really care. So we'll get into that as we go, go through the book. And the hope is to turn this around, to wake you up, to say, yes, I do want to come and remember my first love. So it ends really, you know, the, the, the hope is really uh, to, to be back in that gracious relationship with the Lord. But as we, as we go on, you know, we see, we see that resentment and, and apathy showing up and how you do those things. Yeah, you might come to church, you might read, you might study, but is it with sincerity? Is it with zeal? Is it with dependence? Is it with appreciation? Is it with gratitude? Is it with faithfulness? Is it with love for your God? Or, as the case here in, in, in Zechariah, I'm sorry, in Malachi, is it obligatory? Is it routine? Is it half-hearted? Is it lame? Is it leftover? Is it warmed over? Is it getting over on God in that way? Just doing because you have to. This is not what our God deserves. He deserves the best that we have for him. We can't, we can't do this with a holy one who loves us, who sent his son for us. How, how, how can we do that? We, but we do it all the time. That's what they were doing in Malachi's day. It's going to affect your relationship with him. Because when you're apathetic and when you're bitter, and that turns into some of that resentment on different levels of resentment, you know what that does? It kills your relationship with the Lord because you're going to fail to remember his tender mercies. They're just going to seem like something way in the past, like a distant memory, way back when. 
But now this is the reality. So we fail to remember his tender mercies that are new for us each and every day, right? You don't think about, all you think about is the problem. All you think about is, oh, I need this. All the, why isn't God doing this? You don't remember, God, how good you were to me. How you rescued me from sin. How you loved me. You don't think that way when, when that bitterness sets in. We quickly forget the benefits from salvation to his provision for us. You know what we like to do a lot of times? We like to look back to Egypt. Just like this, the, the, the children of Israel, when God delivered them, after a while they ran into some trouble. What did they do? Did they continue to trust in the Lord and praise God? No. Oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. It was a lot better back there in that bondage and that slavery, right? But at least we had this to eat and that to eat. What do we have here? What's God doing for us now? You see that attitude? That shows up all the time. We have to guard against that. That's what Malachi is addressing. We lose that providential perspective. And you know what I mean by that. In God's providence, everything happens according to his decree. It's unfolding according to his purpose and plan. We need to see our lives in that view, from that view. Right? We, we love the good providence when great things happen and things happen that please us, that are good for us, and we should. We rejoice, we praise God. Oh, in God's providence, he brought us here. In God's providence, he did this. But what about his hard providence? When you don't get the things that you've been praying for and want, when sickness does come, when relationships are difficult and times are really hard, what about the bad providence? Do we praise God for that? Do we look to him and, and thank him that he's in the midst of that? And Lord, what are you teaching me through this? And how can I rely on you more? It is. We praise him when there's providence is good providence. We praise him in the hard providential times. Amen? That's what we do. We're always praising and trusting in him. These people have lost that perspective. When we have this, it just affects your contentment, your peace, your joy, your disposition, your love, and your obedience. And that is a sin. And that's the bottom line. This is why I'm, I'm laying this on today because I want you to understand this is kind of foundation. This is underneath. As we go through this book, we're going to keep coming back to this. Because when you're, when you're like this, and when those people were like that, when those people were doing that to the Lord who saved them, the Lord who brought them back into the land, temples rebuilt, they have the, those advantages, that, that relative safety and protection. Do they praise him? No. Do they thank him? Not really. They become apathetic. They're bitter. And then when they're confronted with it, they say, what? Aren't we doing this? Aren't we doing that? But when we have that sense of, of that, when that bitterness sets in or that dissatisfaction with God, well, you're saying, and here's the sin, here's the nub. You're saying, you are not sufficient for me, God. You're not sufficient. You're not enough. It's, you're not good enough for me. That's the bottom line. That's a hard attitude, and that's a sin, and I think that's what Malachi is really getting at. They forget 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul says this. Paul asked for the thorns to be removed, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness, and Paul gets it, and he says, therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's the attitude that we need to have, and even Malachi is kind of pushing for that in a sense. This can kind of be added to Malachi in, in that way, to be trusting in him. Because you're saying otherwise, that you're not satisfied 
with the only one who can completely satisfy you, in other words. Who else is going to do that for you? Yourself? No. You can gain all the money in the world. That's not going to satisfy you for long in what you need and in your heart and permanently. Only he can satisfy you. And that attitude is saying, no, I'm not satisfied with the only one who could fully satisfy me. Can your spouse fully satisfy you? No. Can, can your job? No. And there's nothing in this world that could fully satisfy you, only Christ. And these people are turning around and saying, no, sorry, not enough. That's the bottom line. And that's what Malachi drills down to, and he calls them back to God. That's what he's doing. He's calling them, that's the good news. He's calling them back to God to repent, to turn back to their first love, not to be lukewarm. Again, we'll talk about that as we go through this. Now, I want to make a distinction. I want you to hear this. There's a difference between discouragement and discontentedness or dissatisfaction with God or resentment, which kind of shows itself in that apathy or that sighful kind of rejection or resignation. I guess this is the way it is. You know, that kind of thing. Now listen, we're allowed to be discouraged. Go to Psalm 13 with me. Let's go to Psalm 13 together. You're definitely allowed to be discouraged. We don't have to put on the happy, smiley faces in the situations that are difficult. David never did that. We're not taught to do that. So Psalm 13 says this. And this is lamenting out to the Lord. And this is discouragement. David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long will my enemy exalt over me? He says, consider me, consider me. Look at me, God. Where are you, right? Oh, Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Let my foes rejoice because I am shaking. That's a man who is discouraged in many ways. And that's all right. We can go to that place. We could be discouraged, but never dissatisfied and never, never resentful of of God because of our circumstances. Look how this psalm ends. That's deep despair. He's out there and he's saying, look, God, look at my life. This is hard. Where are you? I don't get what's going on, what's happening. But then in the end, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. On the one hand, he's saying, Lord, where are you? I'm in trouble. I'm my enemies overtaking me. The next moment he expresses that confidence in the Lord. It's okay to be discouraged. Job, after he lost everything, what did he say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But what did Job's wife say? Why don't you just curse God and die? See, that's resentment. That's bitterness. God took everything away. God brought this upon us. He's allowed this to happen. The circumstances are terrible. It's gone. Just curse him and die. Let's be done with it. That's discontentedness. That's resentment towards God. We're not allowed to go there. That's sin. And that's what was happening in Malachi's time. The people, in, in, the, in subtle ways, they are, they are going there. Right? Well, you'll show up at church bodily, but your mind and your heart, you're a million miles away. Oh, I go to church. I could check that box. Are you? Okay, good. You're here? I'd rather you not be here if you're not here and engaging in your heart and your mind, if you're just here in your body because now, oh, God, didn't I go, go to church in that way? 
It shows up in your time with God. What's your time with God like in, in word and in study and prayer? If you're apathetic and, and kind of resentful, that's kind of a sign that like my this time with God is just optional. It's kind of like optional. It's not optional if you're in the Lord. Obedience is seen as minimal. Feelings come first. And that's so wrong, and it's so ungrateful, and it's actually so disrespectful to the Lord for us as Christians to do that in that situation. The one who loved you, the one who rescued you, the one who gave his son for you, all the benefits you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, this is the truth. How, how dare we do that? And then turn our fit, kind of shake our fists at God, even if it's in our, our hearts, even if we don't speak it. I'll give an illustration. I, I, I'm not great at illustrations, you know that, and I try. And there's never illustrations that are adequate enough, but think of a parent-child relationship, right? Again, inadequate and flawed, but maybe there's some touch points here that we could learn from. Remember your kids, those of you that have kids, how your kids loved you, <laughs> how they really loved you, how they could come into bed with you and how they looked up to you and, and how they sought your advice and how they talked to you and how they wanted you to, to read to them and be with them. And then they turned four. But seriously, as the kids grow so often, they, they and, and I know parents are flawed. That's why this is a flawed illustration. We're not God. But nevertheless, as the kids grow up, they listen to you because they have to listen to you, right? And that works for a while. See, that's what it's like in Malachi's day. Yeah, I'll listen to you because I have to listen to you because I'm supposed to listen to you. Not because I love you so much, right? But there's that resentment. They keep the rules just to avoid trouble, right? when they keep the rules, if they're not trying to get over on you as they, as they grow up, right? But they'll do that just to avoid trouble. How would you like that as a parent? You're doing it not because you see how much we love you and want to keep you safe, but just so you stay out of trouble for a little bit of time. How, like, as a parent, that makes us feel they have no respect. <laughs> they have no love. They, what? Kids, I love you. What? Why are you doing this? They don't take to heart what you're teaching them. Oh, okay, another lecture from mom. Now I'm going to go talk to dad because he's the cool one, right? Yeah. That's not in our house, though. I'm cool, but not in that way. By the time they go to college or come home from college, they're resenting you oftentimes, right? They've learned from their friends. They've learned from their professors. They've learned from TikTok. Everything that your parents, you've taught them has been wrong. How come you never told me this? How come you never showed me that, mom and dad? How come I never knew that? You never said that about evolution. My college professor, who's really smart, not like you, taught me this. As a parent, how do you feel? I've loved you. I've raised you. Where's that little kid that used to come up and, and talk to me? Now, relationships could be restored, but, but do you understand? Again, I know this is such an inadequate illustration, and yet, how much more when it comes to us in an altogether holy, perfect, righteous, loving God. Because as parents, we do mess up and we don't have all the answers. We know that, but God does. And yet, we can treat him this way. That's what's going on in Malachi. What are you doing? You gotta stop. The undercurrent of resentment from time, it's always there in Malachi. You're gonna see that undercurrent of resentment towards God is always there. But it really comes through in chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. So just turn over Malachi chapter 3. Again, this is just an introduction. We're going to dig deep into all this as we go through. 
But um, chapter 3, check this out, beginning in verse 13. It says this. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, listen, you have said, it is vain to serve God. These are people that are church on every Sunday. These are people that bring their offerings. These are people that bring their tithes. They're doing what they're supposed to do. But here's that heart and that resentment. You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning in the fear of the Lord of hosts? And now we call arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Do you see the resentment in that? Just a little, we're just touching it. We're just, but do you see that? That's what's going on there with these people. These people that are in church every Sunday, these people that are giving their tithes, these people that are going to Bible study, that's what they're thinking about their God. And that's what's going on with Malachi. And that's far too prevalent among us as well. Ultimately, this is what Malachi deals with, and he addresses. He addresses their approach to God and their worship of God. How they dishonored God in their marriages. We're going to see that. We're going to see how, how he confronts the unfaithful priesthood. Here are the priests. Here are the leaders. And what are they doing? What are they offering before the Lord? We're going to see that apathy. And we're doing this because this is our tendency, but we can't do this if we're going to be faithful in serving the Lord and loving him and being all who we're called to be in Christ, right? We're going to see how the people dishonored God in their marriages and robbed him in the giving of their tithes. But the hope, and it ends, and there's judgment at the end, but, but there's hope in there. And that's always what we want to bring forth. Always bring forth that hope. We're always being challenged as Christians, but the hope is this, that God's grace, calling his people back. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. He says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see that the, dis the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Do you see the hope there? Amen. That's what we want to get to. We want to get to that restoration, the promise of all who really repent, truly repent, truly fear, truly obey, seek to live for the Lord and who love him is there. That's offered to them as well. So that's, a, that's, that's the introduction to this entire series. It's a foundation. I'm going to keep returning back to this and keep reminding us of this uh, as, as we go through, but I want you to, to understand that. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we could learn uh, even through Malachi. Look at chapter 4, uh, the first the first part of, of verse 6, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. But he will turn their hearts, and even speaking of Messiah, he will turn their hearts of the fathers uh, and the sons, both really to him. How does he do this? Through his incarnation, the coming of Christ, through his sinless, perfect life, 
through his substitutionary, sacrificial, atoning death on the cross, through his glorious bodily resurrection, through his blessed ascension where he rules and reigns as king on high. That's how he does this. And this is what we, by faith, the faithful in all generations look to. We look to this, to that hope and promise of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the time of Malachi, by faith, they look forward to resting in and to believing on the promises such as this, as we just read. That's what the Lord used, those promises. Hebrews 11 tells us they look forward to Christ. They look forward to the cross. To those of us who are in Christ now, we have the privilege of looking back, back on the cross of Christ to that which has been fulfilled that forever defining and decisive moment of Jesus hanging on the cross to pay the price for the sins of his people for all eternity, that we may be forgiven in him and have new life and live in a manner worthy of our calling and live in a way, it is possible possible for us to live in a way where we honor and glorify God without resentment, without shaking our fists, even if it's in our own hearts, but with joy and gladness. And when we do find ourselves going into that resentment or bitterness or apathy or whatever else, we have a Savior who forgives us. Amen? It's not a permanent place. If you're down, it wasn't a permanent place for those people in Malachi's time. They could turn to the Lord, repent, and be restored. That's how good our God is. We don't deserve that, right? How good he is to us. Because even as Christians, how bad we can still be and how thoughtless towards our Savior, how much we had taken for granted. He still forgives us and bears with us and upholds us and loves us. And that's seen at the cross. So that, that defining moment, that decisive moment in history that clearly demonstrates John 3.16, that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life.